0: Founded by Logan Esterling, reed design is pushing the boundaries of oboe and English horn reed making. They take the knowledge they've collected from hundreds of reeds and, with the power of machine learning, derive patterns and trends that accurately predict the characteristics of finished reeds while early in the sorting process. The result is quality reeds with characteristics you can count on. Using their products will save you valuable time and let you get back to what you love, making music. Visit www.readdesign.io to learn more. That's R-E-E-D-E-S-I-G-N dot
1: Hey, oboists. Have you ever found it difficult to sort out when and how to find a new oboe or English horn? Oboe Chicago streamlines the process, providing personal and professional consultation and a large selection of lovely instruments. The process feels comfortable and thorough. Selection includes Aflore of Paris, Howarth of London, Covey Oboes, and Fox products. For a current listing of Oboe Chicago's selection, please visit www.obochicago.com. For a credit of $100 towards shipping, mention Double Read Dish when you call or email Shauna. That's obochicago.com.
0: Hi, I'm Galit Kaunitz. And I'm Jackie
1: Wilson. And you're listening to Double Read Dish, a podcast for oboists, bassoonists,
0: and the people who love them. Do you know that feeling when every time you go into a different room, you feel like you're moving in to the room?
1: Actually, I don't tend to bring my like that much stuff with me to like rehearsal or that type of stuff. But when I go from home to work or work to home.
0: How many bags do you carry? I have that, including my purse. I sometimes have four. It's between four and five because I have the bassoon,
1: which takes up your back which is essentially the problem that we face, right? Because you have the Mm -hmm. backpack straps and then you can't wear a backpack. Mm -hmm. And then I have, yes, my purse. I have a Karina Emmerich bag. She's this fantastic Native American designer. She was on Project Runway. She... (laughs) (laughs) kind of infamously screamed, I'm such a better designer than her about this very loved contestant Char and everyone kind of hates her. But I loved her and I love her designs (laughs) and I own two of her bags and I love carrying them, but they're Pendleton fabric, which is this kind of... Oh, yes. And so I feel like I can't just like load them up with stuff. No, don't. No. And so I'll put like (laughs) one binder in there and then I have to carry three other bags to distribute the weight of the stuff I actually have to carry even... Uh And so, yeah, then I have other tote bags. But the most annoying thing is, I don't know, I don't feel like my shoulders are slender or sloped. There must be something about my makeup that when I'm wearing a backpack strap and I have these bags on either shoulder, Uh, just fall off.
0: It's the worst.
1: I'm like, can I just have like, I don't know, like a hook (laughs) on my (laughs) shoulder that I can just... (laughs) (laughs) Stay on because I'm like holding up and listen, I'm not trying to clown on Washington State University, we have a cougar themed episode today. Um, But if I had a complaint, and I do, it's that we have to pay for parking. And the availability of the respective lots is kind of like first come, first serve seniority. And so where I park is literally uh, four tenths of a mile away from oh God. where I work. So when I'm hauling, <laughs> it's a very hilly campus. So in the morning, it's uphill mm. with all these bags. I it's getting cold now so you have your winter coat but you're like sweating inside the coat and oh my gosh it's just they're sliding you're hitching them up and
0: you gotta put the totes on first then the bassoon
1: I will try that and report back okay. about my success level what about you Four
0: five? Oh god I usually carry my my oboe backpack which they, it's not a real oboe backpack it's just a backpack that Becky like figured out all the measurements of everything that I need. It's a Timbuktu bag (laughs) and it, the it carries every size of music and it has space for everything. It's a miracle bag. So stuff can go with your oboe. It's not the oboe
1: is bag is not solely dedicated to that. That helps.
0: Yeah. It helps a lot. So I have that backpack, which my mother-in-law added these little felt coverings to the straps too, because my skin is sensitive. So it's like a little soft. And then I have my purse and then I have uh, my computer bag. Mm-hmm. And then I usually am carrying my read tool tackle box. It's a lot. It is a lot. <laughs>
1: Why do we have to carry so much? Oh, and the other thing—if you have a bassoon stand, like I finally just—oh yeah, I was like, I need a bassoon stand for at home and for in the office. I cannot be carrying no, because yeah, if you
0: have to also carry the bassoon stand around, and I have one of those really heavy oboe stands too. It's like a hunk of iron, the Hercules. Yes, yes, but you know that thing's not falling over, so it's worth it. Well, and you've got
1: the Hercules in your hand, and yep. you got to try to hitch up the bag onto your slopey shoulder that can't hold up the bag. It's, it's, oh my goodness.
0: Y'all know what we're talking about. And you really do because we asked you on <laughs> social media <laughs> and we got some pretty amazing responses. Can I start, please? Please. Okay. So Keith Oboe is really on the money here. He brings a hard copy of Christine Ammer's the A to Z of foreign musical terms. I have that book. It's an awesome book. So we've moved from the number of bags to
1: tell us what's in your bag. Tell us what's in your bag. Yeah, exactly. What's the crucial. Why do we
0: got to carry all this stuff around? What mm-hmm. What's the required mm-hmm. stuff? Um, So the actual dictionary of terms, because being on your phone in rehearsal is treacherous. And I know a lot of you young people out there use tuning apps, treacherous territory. It's a risk. It is a risk. It's a risk. So I have a, an actual tuner with batteries. Keith takes it further. He brings a tuning fork. That does take up less space than most tuners. It's true. And he also brings those really nice molded attenuated earplugs, which I also bring everywhere I go. And those have saved my life so many times. Oh, and a crossword book for tacit movements, hard copy. Yes, Keith.
1: I just read, you got to be careful with that, though, because I just read about um, one of the jurors in the Elizabeth Holmes case was excused because they were doing Sudoku during testimony. Oh, stop it. Keep it to the tacit movements and not a criminal trial
0: (laughs) of the decade. Oh, my God. If I were on that jury. That's a true story. How could you be bored on that
1: jury? I think she said she was fidgety and that she felt it was kind of the equivalent of like a fidget spinner.
0: Do you think that she felt bored by the timbre of Elizabeth Holmes voice? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Anne Lemke, she's got it figured out. She was like, um, yeah, we require a lot of space.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Our bodies are our money mm-hmm. and our art and our sorry, career. Sorry. So she uses a, uses a roller case like she is at the Denver airport. Mm-hmm. O'Hare, Mm-hmm.
0: going from terminal to terminal. That is Anne every day of her life. You know, Anne is really smart. I love my wife very much, but I used to carry a roller bag and she made fun of me incessantly. So now I don't do it anymore.
1: <laughs> well, it sounds like Anne has more supportive people in her life. which That's I That's true. For her. Good
0: for you, Anne. <laughs>
1: Let's see, let's compare Nancy to Keith. Does a bassoonist carry around more stuff or is our stuff just bigger? Nancy Belmont, shout out Nancy. My Mary Poppins bag always has read tools, iPad, pedal charger. Oh, the iPad, y'all who do the iPad instead of sheet music. I'm about to do that, it's coming in the mail. We can do a dish on that sometime. That'd be great. That'd be great. Uh, Water bottle headphones and a planner. Other than that, it just depends on the day. And I, yeah, I love that uh, imagery of the Mary Poppins bag. If only. Pull an umbrella out of there, pull a bathtub out of there. Someone come up with that. You'll be the next Elizabeth Holmes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Joe, the musician, has brought up a really big problem in the doubling, or in his case, quadrupling. Tripling, quadrupling. (laughs) What do you do? When I have my oboe and my English horn, it's like 10 times as much stuff. So Joe says, I'm leaving for Brazil Saturday and it's literally the lightest I've ever packed. Two clarinets, oboe, English horn, four reed cases, and every single pouch and pocket is crammed with swabs, sandpaper, straps, and accessories.
1: Well, I feel like this brings up a new consideration which people have spoken about in the interviews which is yes if you are a doubler or a tripler carrying your assembled instruments from where the cases are allowed to be to the stage it is the most stressful part because <laughs> you're carrying your music your reed cases anything that you need Plus, yeah, an English horn and an oboe at the same time. And like, God
0: forbid you slam your vocal against the wall or oh your God. reed or, oh my God.
1: People don't want to hear that, Galit.
0: I'm sorry. Forget it you heard that. It happened.
1: Ugly Duckling Oboes is dedicated to the development of young oboe players. They provide quality handmade oboe reeds, private lessons, and high-quality oboe sales, rentals, and consignments. The oboes that they rent are conservatory mechanism oboes that include the left-hand F key and low B flat key all are maintained by oboe-specific technicians. In-person lessons are available as well as virtual lessons for students who live outside the geographic area or have transportation and scheduling challenges. They also offer online college audition coaching for high school juniors and seniors who plan to audition to be music majors. Visit UglyDucklingOboes.com for more details on how you can set up yourself for success and sign up for their newsletter. That's uglyducklingobos.com.
0: Chemical City Double Reads is a full-service double reed shop specializing in the sale of instruments, cane, accessories, and sheet music. Double Reed Dish listeners can enjoy free shipping with code DRDISH. Visit them in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or online at www.ChemicalCityReads.com.
1: So Galee, I might be a little biased, but I think this might be our coolest guest ever. I mean, I would vote for it. Obviously, we are pleased to be here with Carrie McCarthy, Professor of Oboe at Washington State University. My colleague, go Cougs. Welcome, Carrie.
2: You are both so sweet and I've been admiring your program for a long time now and advertising it to all of the students that I can find. And I am beyond thrilled to have Jackie Wilson as a colleague here at WSU. It is such a pleasure to play music with you and and work with you. So I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you.
0: Y'all should see these heart eye emojis on the screen. It's amazing.
2: Absolutely.
1: (laughs) Carrie, can our guests start to get to know you a little bit better by hearing how you started to play the oboe? How did you come to this instrument?
2: Well, I was a wayward flutist for a couple of years first. And uh, you know how they we do all of these in the schools concerts um, and with, with local orchestras. Um, I grew up outside of Syracuse, New York, and uh, the Syracuse Symphony had a wind quintet that came and played at my elementary school. And I swear, I remember the sound of that oboe today like it was yesterday. It just was striking and so gorgeous and I I knew I wanted to do that as soon as I could Uh, and the opportunity came in the middle of sixth grade this is where the story takes a turn for the worse because they handed me an oboe and said oh the fingerings are pretty much the same as the flute you know you won't have trouble just go ahead and go into the band and play your oboe in this rehearsal and it was it was pretty bad it was um some sort of uh, you know um, collection of pieces that involved Sonny and shares I've got you babe as an oboe solo so I am starting to hum, 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 on my oboe um the entire band little by little is starting to erupt into giggles till the point where the band director stops rehearsal and he himself starts laughing at me trying the oboe for the first time and with that, that just kind of summarizes the rest of my career right there. That's it.
0: (laughs) 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 The elbow did not have you, babe. (laughs)
2: It it was, was, yeah, it was all in C. It was all C's. Oh, it was awful. It was. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I had no instruction other than it's exactly like the flute, which clearly it's not. Um, and and that that situation just I was determined to make it sound something like what I had heard on the stage a couple of years before in that in that concert. So um, I have spent the rest of my life trying to do that. Uh, but that's that was my introduction. Um, I, I just was so passionate about the instrument in high school. I really have never been able to see myself doing anything else. I, I love the oboe. I thought maybe I wanted to be a performer. I, um, I went to Ithaca College where I got a great education. Um, so many supportive oboists in our lives, um, in every studio I was in. Um, and, and friends and colleagues that I still collaborate with and connect with regularly. So um, I studied at Ithaca and was lucky uh, to study with Mark Hill there and then a year with Paige Morgan who was a a great and still is a great support to a good number of oboists. Um, I studied with Ronald Roseman at Yale University and oh he was a wonderful man and just a fabulous musician. His um, Handel Sonata's recordings are just amazing. Even now I returned to them and I'm just amazed at what he was able to do with so few edits and just gorgeous, gorgeous playing. Um, and from Yale, I, I had the opportunity to teach some undergraduates lessons as well while I was there and realized that I wasn't sure that performing was the only thing I wanted to do. And I got really excited about teaching. And so uh, I was uh, lucky enough again to head to Indiana for my graduate work where I studied with Ted Baskin for a couple of years and Linda Stroman for a couple of years and Roger Rowe as well for several of those and, um, started focusing on what college teaching would look like as well as, as playing. And so, um, those were really formative years. What a great education I've had from all of these masters in the field. Um, and so that was sort of my, my path to the Oboe and through school. Um, at that point, as I was finishing up at Indiana, uh, you know, the job market was kind of a question mark. And there was a, a job posted um, for in Thailand and at Mahidan University, which was pretty much unheard of at the time. The school, I think, was maybe six or seven years old in total when I arrived there. but. Uh, saw an ad in the paper, did a phone interview, and sent recordings and was offered the job without ever having been to Thailand, or even really been abroad very much. Jackie, you're <laughs> <What> Yeah. <am> <laughs>
1: <that>? <laughs> My brain is exploding right now, what? <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was, yeah it was like they seem nice over the phone i think this is gonna be good and you know i turned my husband um and i had been together quite a while we met in college and turned to him and said i don't know what to do like you know we can stay in indiana another year and play in orchestras and 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 he can teach and what, what will we do um and he we finally came up with the the idea that if we don't go, we'll always wonder what that would have been like. And we were, you know, young enough to have that kind of freedom of like, well, let's try it and see, you know, how bad can it be for a year? And it was really life changing. So the, the the first time I stepped foot in Thailand was, you know, the week before I was starting teaching there. So it just was, you know, a whirlwind after that, but truly life changing. It was amazing. People there are, are just outstanding. The music school that they are building ha- is, is phenomenal. I mean, I, I can't imagine how quickly and well they built this school. Uh, it has a pre-college, it has a full college and it has a, a, you know, a master's and doctoral programs. They're hosting that IDRS in a couple of years. So mm-hmm. it's, it's just phenomenal what the people there have done. And so I got to teach there for a year as well.
1: Well, obviously, we want to hear more about that, but what happened when you called your parents and were just
0: like,
2: I'm moving to
1: Thailand, and they're like, what?
2: Yeah, that was a tough phone call. (laughs) My parents have been very supportive of my music education, but that I think was probably a, a close to, as close to a breaking point as I brought them. So, <laughs> there is kind of a joke that whatever I do from now, it's never going to be as far away from them as Thailand was. So, exactly. it's, so it's like, well, I'll, I'll always be at least a little closer than Thailand. Um, but they, uh, yeah, they were supportive and, and it was really a, fan, I mean, a life-altering experience. It was fantastic professionally. Uh, I was at that point, uh, Thailand is and was a a huge saxophone mecca. Uh, The king Mm -hmm. at the time played saxophone and there are hundreds of saxophone students and far fewer double reed instruments at the time. And so we were building the programs there uh, and converting a lot of saxophone students to either double or switch to oboe and bassoon. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's a real sense of of wonder to kind of watch people like I did in that concert hall, hear the oboe for the first time, and and really be drawn to it. I think the double reed instruments are are not the easiest instruments to to start with. I think it's important that we start students on them. But uh, you know, from what it sounds like with a professional to what it sounds like when you're starting, is such a wide a wide range to to bridge. And um you know, to see these students pick up the instrument for the first time and just really commit is is outstanding. there and you know, it's such a privilege to watch them to commit to the instrument in that way, you know, at the college level, I think students there were really much more um, free in a way. they 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 listened to what they were interested in pursuing and they, they took initiative in a way that, and, and, and invested the time and energy in a way that is hard to do in our contemporary society, you know, they just really practiced hard and, and learned how to make reeds in the first year of playing the instrument and, and advanced at just a really rapid rate of speed. It's, it's just outstanding, you know, to see people work that hard and be that committed to something in music.
0: This is your first teaching position, first full-time teaching position in a totally different country and culture. Can you tell us about what that was like?
2: Uh, (laughs) Humbling. (laughs) All of that is humbling. (laughs) Um, Most of the students spoke English uh, to some extent. And I spoke almost no Thai when we got there and more as we went through, but uh, to see that music is a language that can be understood regardless of the language you speak and that the culture you come from, I think is a, is a universal truth. It's amazing. Uh, so we did a lot of playing back and forth to try and explain things or gestures physically um, so that was a really great experience to be able to not talk too much in a lesson, you know, because you you didn't have the ability necessarily to communicate most effectively through language. Um, and gosh, it was just um, it, for me, it was a, a personal learning experience to be in a different culture. Um, the people that I met in Thailand universally were just extremely friendly, caring, funny, thoughtful, uh, outstanding human beings. And uh, so when we were making cultural errors, they would be fantastic in terms of just being forgiving and uh and teaching us and so that kind of they have a real love and devotion to the teachers in the um school systems and in the universities and so that reverence for your teachers was something that resonated well with me because i had had such reverence for the people who had taught me oboe in the past but uh it it was a really humbling experience to get to be somebody who was that important in the students lives as well And it, uh, it taught me a lot about uh, how people deserve to be treated, you know, and um, culturally, it was just, uh, I learned so much about, um, about people, um, about buddhism which was uh something new for me to experience within a culture uh their historical sites you know are are just gorgeous and um there are a lot of places with just really every place there has such deep history and a long lasting written record. And so to know that you're standing in a place where cultures were thriving 1200 years ago, that kind of thing gives you a different depth of of place and personhood as well. And so all of that was really transformative for me. I'm I'm so grateful for the experience.
1: And this started a Lifelong um, relationship with music from Southeast Asia, and we want to hear about your Fulbright experience and and that expertise a bit more. Um, But I'm curious about how you found your way back to the United States and kind of uh, how you got to where you are today from that point.
2: Well, I loved being in Thailand. Um, I felt a pullback to the US. I knew I didn't wanna be so far away for a long period of time. And uh, Paige Morgan at Ithaca College was really generous in uh, offering me the opportunity to teach as a sabbatical replacement for her. Um, and so I, I left Mahidon after a year and came out back to Ithaca where I had started my um, studies. and. Uh, worked as a sabbatical replacement there teaching oboe at Ithaca College in the fall semester Um, and learned a lot there about more conservatory style teaching and got to learn a lot about where a place I had been and and known as a student it's always kind of challenging and fun to go back and it was both it it taught me a tremendous amount and um, it is true that once you're that far away I found at least at that time that it was difficult to get job interviews you know in the United States and so being able to come back and be centered out of New York was a much easier transition than uh trying to move you know position professionally direct from Thailand into a position in the U.S. so that year was a real saving grace I'm very grateful to Paige for that and um And from there, there there were um, a couple of few jobs uh, open that year and Washington State University was one of them. And um, I came here for the job interview and it is such an unusual and beautiful landscape out here. the college campus is gorgeous and the students are outstanding just in terms of who they are as human beings, their supportiveness, their openness. And I did fall in love right away with the campus and with my colleagues. And uh, and so I moved here from there. So that transition year in Ithaca was really lovely.
0: Would you tell us now more about your research pursuits? I want to hear about these relationships that you've built with Southeast Asian composers and
2: performers, and how you've incorporated that into your research agenda. It's, yeah, it's amazing how these things evolve, because I really wasn't sure how that was going to continue when I got back to the United States and uh wsu was very supportive and very clear about our need to be research-driven individuals and you know i began to think about what was important to me as a player and as a teacher and what i thought might resonate longest with me and what i kept coming back to was the individuals and the styles of music that i familiarized myself with while i was in thailand and the ways in which at the time, um, music the music from Southeast Asia and still to a certain extent is underrepresented worldwide, I think. Uh, at the time we had far less streaming audio and the, um, uh, the web was much more in its infancy. And so uh, copyright law was really preventative in terms of getting Thai music out. Uh, there is not you know, a significant amount of copyright law in Thailand, and music is exchanged pretty freely between composers and performers. Mm -hmm. So that financial element is missing. But beyond the borders of Southeast Asia, of course, there's an expectation that you will purchase scores and that there's the method for getting access to that music was mostly through publishers and most composers from that area did not work with publishers who were beyond you know they were self-published and so um, i began to be really interested in trying to share more of the music of the people i had heard uh internationally so that more people would be familiar with the musical styles that were coming out out of thailand specifically which is what i knew Um, And it's such a plethora, it's such a variety of of musical sounds and of landscapes coming out of of these areas that it was, you know, certainly more than a life's pursuit of of promoting and understanding the musics that are coming out of Southeast Asia. Um, So anyway, in 2008, I was able to do a commission project and I reached out to composers in thailand and malaysia and vietnam uh in indonesia and uh for pieces for solo oboe, or oboe and piano and uh and then started making connections with oboists in the region as well beyond thailand um and just started uh working more to find out what the repertoire was you know for oboe and bassoon there was less of it available at the time it's developing more now and there are people really committed to to growing that repertoire um, and commissioning new works from artists in that area and i'm so grateful for that And there are many fine musicians in the region as well who are playing promoting and commissioning composers so It's really the landscape has changed so much in the last 10 or 15 years, which is great. Um, um, but at the time I saw this need and that is kind of how I started jumping in was just this, uh, knowing that I, I knew people that I really wanted to be able to promote and asking them if they would be, uh, open to a commission, uh, you know, of the size I could afford at the time, if I could promise that I would try and promote their music to the extent that I could. And that's really, um, been a great, um, a great way for me, a great avenue for, for reaching out and meeting artists in the region and people almost uniformly everyone just wants to to share their music you know be have more musical visibility for for the music and the composers in the region
1: And I know that that interest and expertise relates to one of your um, big projects that you're still currently working on, which is Pan Pacific Ensemble. Can you tell our listeners a bit about uh, that group and y'all's mission and that type of thing?
2: Yeah, the Pan Pacific Ensemble is a quintet. Uh, that is dedicated to uh, performing and commissioning works from uh, Asia and uh, Asian inspired works in the United States as well. Um, we started playing together in 2016, and uh, bassoonist Michael Garza uh, and I had gone to Yale together and had this past connection. He'd been playing in uh, Guangzhou Symphony Orchestra for a number of years and is a fantastic bassoonist. Um, he and I reconnected in, in uh, Thailand actually in 2011 and uh, 2014 and then started saying, well you know what if we could do a quintet where the members of the group are from different, regions different parts of the the world and we could come together and try and find new repertoire and just pursue these interests together and perform concerts and that is what pan pacific ensemble has become uh, the flute player sophia taggart uh, clarinet shannon scott martin king uh, are all at wsu now it's amazing <laughs> mm. and michael is is just uh just moved headed to rome And so he is still across now. We should be maybe the Pan-Atlantic, but uh, these (laughs) are our repertoire. You can go the long way. He can go the long way. Oh, (laughs) yeah. If he's flying, he has to always (laughs) go the long way. (laughs) Um, But we... uh, we came together at the China ASEAN Music Festival in Nanning, China in 2016, we had not met and we were asked to put together a concert, uh, two or three concerts, we had three hours worth of music that we needed to be able as a group to come together, rehearse in a week and perform. And. It was just this really tight, compact kind of rehearsal schedule, and we thrived. We loved it. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't believe how much fun it was. They couldn't believe how much fun it was. We were playing um, music by Chen Yi, by Naran Pranchurian, and some other artists as well. We just loved the experience and the the breadth and depth of the music there. and uh, and felt like this was something that we wanted to make happen more regularly. So in the last, you know, like six years we have been uh working together we are, have our third album that is in edits and we um have a couple of albums out on albany records and lots of like uh, just a, a really wide variety of music um chen yi has three wind quintets that are just gorgeous gorgeous wonderful pieces uh nirang is from thailand and is now uh chair of mahidan um university's school of music uh, composers uh Ikaho Ka Ho and Cheong from Malaysia and Singapore, uh, uh, Do Kyong from uh, Vietnam. Uh, and then we were able to find artists in the United States like PQ Finn and Asha Srinivasan, Kenji Bunch, and uh, Nick Omiccioli, who is back in the US, was teaching in Singapore at the, at the time. And we have um, commissioned a number of these folks to, to write new pieces, and they are inspired from all areas of, of Asian and contemporary culture. We have rock and roll quintets and, uh, you know, the Chinese wind caves and, and, um, you know, Thai silk. And it's just, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous group of pieces. The, the rainforests in, in Borneo are all represented in these musics. And so it's just a really lively repertoire.
0: I'm super curious to ask about any other maybe solo oboe or oboe and piano pieces that you have commissioned or come across that really stand out as, you know, should be more played, should be more standards of our repertoire?
2: Oh, that's a great question.
0: <laughs> I need your help in finding more repertoire. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: That's fair. Um, there's a, a composer from Malaysia named Y-I-I-E Kaho, and his he has written a lot of solo music. And um, My Spirit is Dancing, My Spirit is Singing. He has a, a huge range of these for different solo instruments. He has a really beautiful piece for oboe that's in his My Spirit series. And he has this great piece called Gangan, um, that is for oboe and piano that replicates um, the percussive elements of uh, Indonesian and Malaysian gamelan ensembles. And so mm-hmm. the piano has this ruler in it, and you get these low rumbles and this higher click that that represents finger symbols in the piano line. And the oboe is, is um, representing the um, Malaysian quadruple reed instrument. Quadruple reed. Yeah. It's called the shanai, which oh, is nice. also from, the shanai is from India. And so his music, and he's got a great website. You can find um, orchestral oh. and other things too that he's done. He's he's really um, a really great, fun composer. Uh, there is a piece from international music that's been recorded by Margaret Marco as well, and is on my Shadow Play album. It's called Four Pictures, and the composer's last name is Doe. He's from Vietnam, and it is available through International Opus which has been a really good publisher for finding music that is more you know more challenging to locate so i have been really Mm -hmm. uh impressed with the way that that he has been able to find more um underrepresented repertoire in his publishing and that piece has some oboe and percussion that goes along with it it's really kind of fun and beautiful beautiful lines for the oboe it's lovely
0: i am so excited to do some Googles and dive into this
2: <laughs> repertoire. <laughs> yeah, um, there are a couple more. We're chat. Premananda is somebody who's harder to find. He's in Thailand um, and has a couple of pieces. Uh, chamber music pieces for oboe, one of which is on my album Shadow Play. He has a piece called Tiger Moth for two oboes that's really fantastic. That probably is a reach out to the composer and ask kind of thing. But there's a lot of material out there that is composer published, and so if you can find emails for folks, or you know, just find them on Facebook and Instagram and just get in touch. They're so uh, available and and friendly and helpful and wonderful artists. So. It seems like this is going
0: to be an endless, fruitful
2: rabbit hole. I think so. I mean, I just feel like amazing. time with just quintet repertoire. There's more and more that I keep finding. And when you start talking with people, I, it's so great that how many people are excited to be doing this project as well, which is just like let's find music and let's get it out there. And um, so it's it's really wonderful to see how, wide the community is and how committed they are to, to more diverse repertoires for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: It's, a, it's like when you're like, mom, I'm bored. And she's like, you're not bored, go find something to do. Like this, like we have no reason to be bored because you could just find all of this great repertoire.
2: We have no reason to be replaying the Sassan oboe sonata for the third time in three years. <laughs>
0: Please, for my sake. (laughs)
1: Well, we are a double read podcast, so we're going to have to talk about remaking. So, yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts on like, uh, you know, your approach to remaking and advice and philosophy. But it strikes me, you know, in the Palouse, we are at elevation, nothing like Boulder, but uh, we are at elevation. And <laughs> then you have all this experience playing in Southeast Asia, which I've heard is a little humid. Wow. Um, So <laughs> it. it it occurs to me (laughs) that you might have some insights on maintaining a readmaking standard and navigating different types of environments that i would also love to hear about how you yes please survive (laughs) help for the traveling the international uh oboe maven how do you handle reads
2: carry help I I wish, yeah, the Reed Fairy would just come down and bless me too. uh, (laughs) Making reads early and often is the only thing that I have ever come up with, you know, and to have a lot of reads. I'm a super fussy read maker, uh, which I'm sure my students don't appreciate at all, but
0: uh, (laughs) they'll appreciate it later. I
2: also appreciate it later. I know, I keep telling them that. Believe me though. Um, but yeah, it, the the read process, I think, is something where if we could, you know, it's just that basic, like, get rid of all the extras. Don't fuss around with um, different ways of tying. Or um, I had a student once who liked to tie reeds in the car while somebody was driving her someplace. And I was, she just, she's like, I think I can do it. And I was like, I really don't think you should though. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. She's like, I can just tie <laughs> it on the door handle and go no. from here in the back seat. I was like, I don't think you get the light. You need to be able to check everything. She's an amazing, it's oboist by the way.
0: It's like this read, um, this read I tied over a pothole. Yes. This read we were going 75 miles an hour on the highway.
2: I remember this read we passed Arby's. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, reads changed quite a bit, and even here, actually, um, Jackie, if it's been announced and you're allowed to say that you are now the principal bassoonist of the Washington Idaho Symphony, congratulations! You didn't
0: tell me that. <laughs> congratulations, girl.
2: Nice, girl. <laughs> the washington idaho symphony plays in pullman moscow which is uh at one elevation of 24 i think and then the other concerts are at lewiston or clarkston which is 500 feet above sea level. And that range is just impossible. I, I So I have a reed that I just keep for English horn down in, it's my Lewiston English horn reed. So there's a, I'm curious to see how it works for Jackie as we're getting started with that. But um, elevation's a real thing. I really have great respect for people who are in Colorado or like Mexico City and mile high and beyond, because boy, I thought when I got to Pullman that Uh, I guess that it would be something that I would be able to manage and it still is, you know, I, I have gotten used to it, but it never goes away in terms of just that the difference between sea level and elevation and the heat and moisture in a place like Southeast Asia or any place South and and then having, you know, it's just, gosh, it's a constant juggling of di- diameter, read, di- you know, keen diameter and thickness and all of that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, it's not easy. First of all,
0: I am at 50 feet above sea level. <laughs> 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 So for the perhaps the amateur makers out there, maybe the students who have don't have a ton of experience of jumping from elevation to elevation, what are your tips and tricks, what do you look for in a high elevation read versus a lower elevation read.
2: My experience with high elevation reeds is that they tend to close up and they don't vibrate very well. So I am always looking for more vibration in my reeds and a larger opening so that we can, you know, move in that vibrating direction. Um, when I am working with now lower elevation reeds or planning for a lower elevation performance, um, the reeds are so much more vibrant when I get there that sometimes I have to do the opposite and try and find ways to sort of calm those vibrations down and close the opening so that my mouth isn't getting tired as I'm playing. Um, man, it is so much fun to go uh, to go across the, you know, across Washington State to the lower elevation and, and just play reads. You know, sometimes I just keep a box that I think, you know, are kind of not quite vibrating enough and you can bring them across and just feel like you have a box full of reeds but i know it works both ways because uh you know <laughs> the reed is always brighter on the other side of the cascade mountains as well oh God. <laughs> wherever your elevation is um But yeah, I do um, and I've been thinking I've uh, got some projects coming up and I'm just making reads like crazy now, you know, a month or a month and a half out with the expectation that that will help and um, I, I tell my students all the time that if you aren't practicing you're losing the habits that you need to physically right. be able to do that. And that's something that I think it, it just took me so long to realize that habit is actually beneficial and preferable. And it makes me feel better. You know, you think about, how long I, I spent thinking, oh, I'll just take a week or two off from reads. It's the summer and I'm going to give myself a break and that's what I need. And, and what I need actually is just to keep going with it and, and relax while I'm doing it, you know, mm-hmm. listen to a podcast or watch something to call it good. But mm-hmm. it's um, that consistency is everything.
0: Yeah. The number of reads that I've ruined coming back from a read making break. Like the first five are always terrible. And <laughs> you get back into it and it's much better. Like making pancakes.
2: Yeah, exactly. You gotta throw out always. the
0: first, first one is bad.
2: Man, I have had times where I, I took more time off than I should have. And it's more than just one batch of pancakes or one batch of, <laughs> it's like, you know, breakfast for a year is kind <laughs> of, you know. Did I used to know how to make reeds? I thought I knew how to make reeds. <laughs> I better go back and, you know, listen to some recordings and see, did I know how to make reads? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> It's the same with practicing, I think, too, is that, you know, um, I've talked with friends who who absolutely need like a month off a year and they take a month and they come back and they're ready to go. Um, you know, people who are working in that orchestra season, I think I, I get and respect their wish to take time away. But boy, for me, like I am so much happier and more normal a person when I'm playing. And that took me so long to realize. I don't know if that's true for you at all as well, but just... You know, it practicing makes me so happy now and just mm-hmm. being consistent with it and getting in and doing those warm-ups and scales is is something that um brings such joy to me now and is something I wish I'd known when I was younger.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Well, that kind of brings up um something we like to talk about a lot is this concept of work-life balance and how we navigate the very real musical responsibilities that we have. As you mentioned, at, at WSU, we have a large creative activity expectation associated with our position. And also the personal, you know, being a human, being a member of a family, all that type of stuff. Um, as a full professor, you know, you've been, you uh, successfully navigating that for a while, right? Um, So how do you approach that work-life balance for you?
2: It's such a misnomer. There is no balance in work-life balance, but it's all right.
0: (laughs) It's just drinking from a fire hydrant all the time.
2: (laughs) It's it's, it's how I feel about life. That's exactly (laughs) what you (laughs) summed it up for me. (laughs) Well, I have, uh, I have three kids and I adore them, um, but that has been uh, a challenge as well as a gift for sure. And it was after having our first one that I came back to Reeds and felt like it took me a very long time. I mean, like as nine months, as long as it took to have the kid is how long it took to get back to Reeds again. Yeah. And feel like I knew what I was doing. So, you know, I do think that there is something to the idea that our, um, our lives and our trajectories, our career paths are going to have ups and downs, and that that has to be something that I take a breath and stand back at the end of the day and realize that whatever i'm doing if it's important enough for me to be spending my time and dedicating my energy to it now is what i should be doing you know and not to second guess that um it is so easy to look around and see other people doing things that you want to be doing or that you had thought you would be doing and to uh to think that the grass is greener or that you're you're missing something and it has taken me a long time to be be able to step back and and say um, just that um, what I'm doing outside of work has has merit and importance and value in my life and it's what I need to be doing at the time and that work life will always be there too you know I feel like right now we're starting the semester again and there is no work life balance it's a you know it's just a tremendous amount of of work and having people who are supportive in your life. I have to say my husband is incredibly supportive of the stuff that I'm doing at school with teaching, recruiting, performing. Um, and he just is, is really able to, to help. So having some people surrounding yourself with people who support what you're doing and are passionate about that too, is really a gift and, and use worth, worth seeking out. But there is, I, I do, um, Very strategic. I do think that people who are oboists and bassoonists tend to be hyper organized. You know, you put your practicing into your schedule in order to make it happen or you get up extra early because you know that you just need to fit it all in in the day. Mm -hmm. Make sure you're paying yourself first in terms of practice in the morning, practice before you make reads so that you're not getting bogged down in the minutia of read making. when you, what you need to be doing is, you know, long tones or developing your sound or working on rap, um, you know, but that organizational element certainly helps, but there is, yeah, it's, um, life is is a real, like you said, fire hydrant in the face all the time. <laughs> I will just drink it up for the rest <laughs> of my life, nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a really, really good reminder. I needed to hear that. <laughs> um, if you wouldn't mind sharing with us some favorite memories of past performances that you have had, some stellar, standout performances
2: that have been special to you. Gosh, there are so many. Um, but I do, I already spoke a little bit about. Playing with Pan Pacific is uh, one of these things where you really admire your colleagues that you're, you're playing with. And it's a very um, short, condensed period of time in which you get to work with them. And uh, the, the joy and privilege to get to do that every time that I work with this group of people um, is, is one of those things that I, I take with me always. Um, and we've given a, a series of concerts um, post pre-COVID, um, along the, along the Eastern seaboard. And that was really uh, just a lot of fun to have worked on this repertoire really continuously in the recording studio and then take a break and then come back and get to perform live. I, I love that element of it. Um, and I, I really admire and enjoy playing with, with my colleagues. So that's, mm-hmm. that's definitely um, a top. I uh, recent performance, actually last week uh, we got to play outside, um, WSU had a, a summer concert series that was outdoors and really a lovely location. Um, you all have been talking about coming out of COVID and feeling like trying to get your foundation back and I, yeah. I feel that so strongly. We go back to, I went back to the reset button and the reset button is not a productive, you know, way of performing. I just have, you have to go through the anxiety management and the rationale and the deep breathing and stuff like that. And, um, I've been doing a lot of mindful meditation this summer, um, just for my own personal health and well being. and, uh, played a new piece written by a composer at WSU, Scott Blasco for Oboe and electronics. That is, Ooh, the most gorgeous pieces, and is totally approachable at almost any age level too, which is amazing. It's um, it, it doesn't have too much high or low register stuff, and it's phenomenal. It's called Night Music, um, and just had this experience of thinking through the summer about being able to perform and wanting to perform, and then just taking these deep breathings and coming out and just sharing the music and really feeling like it was no longer about me as a performer, but just about the beauty of the music I was playing. And that was actually a really special experience for me to walk off the stage and think yeah, I was focused and centered. It just felt great to be out and have an audience in front of you and feel safe and supported and, and to be playing this great new music. So that was really fantastic.
1: So we always close with the question, what advice do you have for a young musician who aspires to have a career like yours?
2: That is, always a great question i've enjoyed listening to your guests talk about this my belief is that if you are meant to be in music if it's your passion if it's the thing that drives you most if it makes you happy uh if it's if it's the thing you want to do at the beginning and the end of the day that there is going to be a way for you to do that and make meaningful contributions to the community you're in and so for those of you who are wondering whether it's possible or uh, you know, are looking for affirmation, I would say, trust your judgment, trust your gut, trust that path. And don't worry too much about what's going forward, but just collect the skills you need and recognize that you need an arsenal of different things to be successful. But once you have that, You'll be able to share your music and share your passions in so many ways that you didn't ever expect to be able to do and and you'll be able to to make it, you know, you'll be able to succeed in the way that you want to in music. You know, this is still a a really more than ever, maybe music is a a really vital part of our community and community building. And so uh, sometimes we can feel diminished by the by the ways in which science and technology and other things compete with people's time or energy, uh, there is no substitute for the power of music. And if that's what you believe in passionately, you need to, you are one of the people that we need with us to make music into the 21st and 22nd centuries. You know, we, we need you. Carrie,
0: this was such a beautiful way to spend an hour. We are so grateful that you agreed to come on the podcast and share your experiences with us. Thank you so much for being on Double Read Dish.
2: I love what you two are doing. Keep doing it. We need it. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
1: You know, the holidays are coming up. I don't know of any like great gift for the double reed players in my life. Galit, can you think of any?
0: I can think of one tiny thing. We have holiday merch. Go to our website. We have custom limited edition holiday designs, t-shirts, stickers for the oboists and bassoonists in your life who need that special boost this holiday season and let them know that you love them.
1: Uh, we hope that you enjoyed that interview. Y'all rock. Follow us on social media. Check out the website, the store, the consortium. Uh, I'm tired, y'all. You know the, <laughs> you know what I tell you at this part. Galee, who's on the next Your episode? Your level of energy is inspiring.
0: <laughs> <laughs> next, we have Yoshi Ishikawa, professor of bassoon at the University of Colorado Boulder. Jackie, we got to end this nerd parade.
1: Go make reads.